um, from break, if this is your first time here, welcome. Um, just want to say that there is a place here for you at Wake at RUF. This isn't rush, so you're not on right now. You don't have to be on. Um, this uh, this isn't a Christian club, so you don't have to believe anything to belong here. Um, in RUF, we believe that you are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace, and that you're never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. And so what we do together is we come, and this time we sing, we read the Bible together, and we ask, uh, what does this mean? What, what does this have to say to me? Does it have anything to say with me, say to me in my life? Um, and one quick announcement, George is here. He's in the back, he's getting some dinner right now. Shh, yeah. No, he's all right. He's, he's got two older siblings. He's used to the loudness. Um, so, yeah, so we've got a new baby. And be sure to introduce yourself on the way out. He'll remember your name. Um, so it's January, and every January we're confronted, I'm sure this happened to you over break, we're confronted with our need for transformation, right? We're told it's a new year, it's time for a new you, you can get a gym membership for a dollar, um, you can fix all those things that are wrong with you, um, right? We have this, this, we're told that we need transformation. And um, over Christmas break, Mary Landon, our three-year-old daughter, received a princess dress and some princess shoes, four pairs of princess shoes. So ladies, if you want to come over and wear some shoes with Mary Landon, she'd love to you join her. Um, but she loves to look at herself in the mirror in her princess dress and her princess shoes. Um, and we do this, right? We love to, like, mirrors are useful in that um, when we see things that we like, we love to look at them. Um, Mary Landon loves to see her new princess dress. Um, sometimes when we look in the mirror, there's things we don't like to see. Uh, I'm 33. I, um, I enjoy seeing myself in the mirror less and less. There's a time when I really like looking at myself in the mirror and, and my vanity and less and less. That's true. Um, right? we, we have mirrors all around us. Like right now we, we carry mirrors in our pockets and we have uh, Snapchat filters that... Um, some of them are silly. Some of them are designed to hide our blemishes, right, so that we can present this face to the world that maybe isn't as honest as, um, well, we don't want to be honest with it. Um, and if we're honest with ourselves, mirrors are really helpful sometimes, but often they're really uncomfortable for us. But mirrors, I'd argue, are necessary for transformation. We must see ourselves as we actually are if we want to change. And the tools, I think, that are necessary for, for real transformation are a, a mirror and a window. A mirror and a window. So what we're going to do together for the next five weeks is we're going to be reading the book of Jonah together. Um, maybe you've re- read the book of Jonah before um, and you're familiar with it. Uh, or you've heard about it or you remember it when you were a kid um, from Veggie Tales. That there's a guy and um, there's a little bit about God, a little bit that feels like a fairy tale maybe, maybe a little truth. Maybe it's got a good moral message. Maybe it's just a good story for kids. Um, right? You're like, oh yeah, that's the one about the whale. It's actually not about a whale. There's the whale that only got a small part in the story. only has three verses, no speaking, um, no speaking parts. Um, but the book of Jonah is both a mirror and a window for us. It's a mirror. Um, it's, a written, it's written so that in Jonah, we'll see ourselves. We'll see our patterns and our tendencies and the brokenness of our own hearts. It allows us to take a long, um, probably painful, but ultimately freeing look at ourselves. But it's also a mirror. Um, we're not left looking at ourselves, but through the window, we're given a vision of God. God and his great compassion, his grace and his patience and his kindness and his forgiveness. And when we honestly look in the mirror, um, we see things that we want to change. 
Um, but we know that the mirror has no power to change us. The, the transformation that we long to see in ourselves, not, not in our outward appearance, but the transformation we long to see in our inner selves, like our, our true deep self, that true transformation we long for will only come as we look out the window to the God of compassion. So that's what we're going to do for the next five weeks together in Jonah. So we're going to start tonight by reading Jonah 1, verses 1 through 4. It's on the back of your bulletin. You can follow along there. And this is God's word for us tonight. Um, and he gives it to us in love. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word to us tonight, and pray now that you would help us to make sense of it, to see ourselves in it. Would it be a mirror to us to show us ourselves? but also a window to show you to us and your compassion and love. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just real quick, I want to say, um, I'm, I got a lot of help for these sermons from David Speakman, who's the pastor of Hope Prez here in town, and um, just really thankful for his help in helping me think about Jonah. So there's this YouTube ad um, that popped up for me a lot last year that was this man in his garage holding his phone, videotaping himself. And behind him are two things. There's a bookshelf full of books, which he claims to have read, and a Ferrari, which he claims he owns. Have you guys seen this? Okay, good. Some of you, some of you not. I wonder if it's targeted towards white males in their mid-30s. That's why I've got this ad so many times. But so this guy is holding his, his phone up, and he's taking a selfie video. He's like, look at all these books I've read. Look at this car I own. You can have it too. Um, I've read all these books, I've made enough money for this car, sign up for my thing, whatever his thing is, and I'll give you the tools um, to do the same. So right, right, he's promising transformation, basically asking, are you tired of being dumb and poor? Um, I'll make you smart and rich, just do what I tell you. And as appealing as it sounds, it's kind of hard to trust a guy using a cell phone camera in his garage that he can actually give you what he promises. And regardless of what technique you use, we all want this transformation. We all long for the success and the peace and the satisfaction that goes along with what we think would happen if we did experience this transformation. And we want it without the fear of failure. And often we'll go to inhuman ends to ensure that peace. I mean, think of the lengths that you went to to get into Wake, right? Your high school resume, your extracurriculars, your leadership roles, and have you stopped? Once you got here... Um, you saw that there is a whole nother level of achieving. A former student once asked me, um, what are Wake students like? I mean, like, are they particularly thoughtful? What is it special about us? He's referring to himself as a Wake student. What makes us stand out? And this was my response. It was, you guys were the best in high school, right? You guys were the best achievers in high school. You won the game of high school. And then you got to Wake, and you're just average. And this is really hard. And you feel a restlessness because everybody else is the best, too. Um, And your heart becomes restless. St. Augustine um, prayed this. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O God. Your hearts are restless and frantic and superstitious because it's hard to find our rest in God. And the way that we approach the transformation question is that we manipulate and orchestrate our circumstances to gain a sense of mastery to ensure success. 
So what does this have to do with Jonah? Well, so Jonah was a successful, respected prophet in Israel. He was at the top of his game. For the first half of the 8th century BC, during the reign of Jeroboam II, who was an evil king, Jonah was the prophet. His job was to proclaim God's favor to his people. He had, and he was a success. He was praised, and he was given honor, and he loved it. He's at the top of his game. And here in verse 1, God speaks to Jonah, and he exposes Jonah's love of success. He says to Jonah, go and preach to Nineveh, which at the time was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the biggest, baddest city and the biggest, baddest nation in the world. They were Israel's biggest enemy. They were the constant enemy of God's people in the Old Testament. So here we have Jonah's heart exposed. He doesn't have the character that he claims to have. He hasn't experienced the inner transformation that he appears to have gained. And he's in a no-win situation here. He's a prophet who's just been told to go preach to Israel's enemies. If he preaches to Nineveh and God doesn't judge them, he's a failure. Because he's put himself out there and God's done nothing. Turns out he's not a great prophet. And he loses his praise and honor. And if he preaches to Nineveh and the Ninevites repent of their sin and they worship Yahweh, he's a failure. Because everyone hates Nineveh. And no one wants to see God be gracious to them. So why is God messing with Jonah? Why is he exposing him and calling him out? Why is he showing everyone that he's not the good religious person that everyone thinks he is? Well, God calls Jonah to Nineveh because he cares for the nation as much as he cares for his covenant people. And God's plans have always included those outside the immediate circle of faithful believers. God's plan has not been destruction and judgment and retribution, but grace and reconciliation. God is saying to Jonah, go to Nineveh so that everyone can know that I am gracious and a compassionate God. That I'm slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness so that they can know me. And Jonah's response, he says, basically saying, why would you be so kind to people who hate you? To people who oppress your people, who flaunt their wickedness? And God's answer is that the unexplained love for Nineveh has the same source as God's unexplained love for Jonah. And his unexplained love for you and his unexplained love for me. God is just being consistent in his character. His desire is to restore the world to himself. So what God is doing here is he's laying himself bare for us to see. The God of the Bible is showing Jonah and the world who he is. And God longs for transformation in Jonah, even when Jonah doesn't want it for himself. And so what is Jonah's response to God's word to him, to this revelation of God's character? Well, he runs away. And I just want us to see two things tonight. I want us to see the defiance of Jonah and God's determined pursuit of Jonah. So first, the defiance of Jonah. So in verses 2 and 3, we've got um, Jonah running away from God. God tells him to go to Nineveh, and he gets up and he goes to not Nineveh. He goes as fast as possible in the opposite direction. And this is supposed to be ridiculous to us. We're supposed to see this as absurd, that the prophet of the Lord hears audibly from the Lord, and instead of obeying him, which most of the other prophets did when God spoke, they said, here I am. Jonah runs. He runs in the um, exact opposite direction. Right? He's just had this supernatural encounter with God, heard the audible voice of God, and he responds by hiding and running. Now, who would do that? That's so ridiculous. Who in the world would run from God? Now remember, this book is a mirror. Mirror. Jonah is meant to be your mirror. We're supposed to look at him until we see ourselves. And what Jonah is showing us is that we all run. This is in our nature. 
And it's pretty safe to say that we can divide all people into two groups. You might think I'm being unnecessarily binary, but hear me out here. Um, Pepsi or Coke, right? There's no third option. You either love Pepsi, I don't know who that is, but you might love Pepsi. And maybe you got a contract with Wake Forest, so you love Pepsi. Or you love Coke, but Dr. Pepper doesn't count, right? You're either one or the other. Um, you're salty or sweet. Patriots, everybody else, right? We have these binaries. Um, religiously, people who are running from God and people who are not running from God. And we'd put in that category strong Christians, people who it's easy for them to obey, people who know more about the Bible than others, people who are nicer than everyone else. But the Bible doesn't divide people like that. It says that we all run. And the division that it makes is no, those who know that they are running and those who do not know that they're running. At its most basic level, sin is us running and hiding from God. It's not fundamentally about breaking the rules, uh, but about br- breaking the relationship between you and God. So we're all running. How and, or when do I run from God? Well, you're running from God when you are looking to yourself as your own authority. Rather than submitting to God's authority as he's revealed it in scripture. You're running from God when you're seeking to make yourself the most beautiful person in the room. Or the strongest person in the room. Rather than looking to the beauty and strength of Christ. You're running from God when you look to yourself in your own accomplishments or your own wealth. Rather than finding your identity and security in God's love for you in Christ. See, we're designed to find all things in God. To find our rest, our satisfaction in God. And when we look for them anywhere else, we're running. See, it's not about being religious or not religious. It's not about what's going on with you outwardly, but what's going on inside of you. And most of us are unaware or oblivious or just numb to the ways that we run from God. And it's important for, for you to know that you run, but it's also equally important to know how you run. Because every one of us has strategies that we use to run from God. And often we use the same strategies that Jonah did. So how did Jonah run? We see that he resisted God's commands, he resented God's presence, and he relied on whatever means were available. So first, he resists God's commands. This is verse 3. God's commands are very clear here. Jonah didn't have an intellectual problem, but he had a moral problem. Mary Clark and I see this in our kids all the time. We give a very clear command to our children, and the response is they do the exact opposite. And Leo, our six-year-old, recently said, Um, But my body doesn't want to obey. How honest is that, right? Um, It's not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. And the same is true for Jonah. He has this choice. Is it God's will or my will? And Jonah chooses his preference, his comfort, his convenience. He is determined to have his own way. He needs to manage his brand. He can't be a prophet to the enemies. He can't have his enemies receiving God's love. So he resists God's commands. He also resents God's presence. Jonah goes in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. Now, why doesn't he just stay home, draw the blinds, hide under the covers? It's because he's running from the presence of God. Now, he probably understood God's omnipresence, but what he was doing was he was fleeing from God's felt presence. Now, we all do this, right? How many of y'all have said to yourself, I'm not going to church. I'm not putting myself in that position. I don't want to be around God's people. I don't want to feel guilty or uncomfortable. So you cut yourself off from every road God could have into your life. Jonah is making this emphatic announcement. He's saying, I want nothing to do with you, God. Now, why why would Jonah do this? What is at the root of this for Jonah? At the root is that he hates the fact that God is extending his grace to his enemies, to the Ninevites. 
See, Jonah's life is about self-reliance. It's about his self-promotion. His religion is about God's grace to me and my people, but not to them. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that he doesn't need God's grace because he's too good. And that the Ninevites can't have God's grace because they're too bad. And God's call to preach to Nineveh is a direct hit to Jonah's identity. And it reveals his self-righteous superiority. And self-reliance always reveals itself in superiority. Right? Think about this. I mean, here at Wake, y'all are at a highly selective, private, liberal arts school. And when you put your identity in yourself, it always reveals itself as superiority. Right? Whether it's, um, you identify, you put your identity um, in your, your wealth or you're not having wealth. Um, you being an independent or you being Greek. Uh, you having the good life or having been someone who suffered. Being from the north or being from the south. Being religious, being not religious. This happens on both sides. I mean, you can feel superiority if you're the richest student on campus. You can also feel superiority if you're the poorest students on the campus. If your identity is rooted in yourself. In whatever way your self-reliance manifests itself, it will always reveal itself as superiority. It might not be visible to everyone, but you feel it and God sees it. And for Jonah, grace was his exclusive possession. He was thinking, God, you can't do this. It can't be that easy for them. They have to work for their salvation. His his complaint wasn't that God wasn't gracious enough. It was that God was being too gracious. Jonah's resentment of God's presence reveals how he felt, not how he felt about Nineveh, but it reveals how he felt about God. Jonah thought God's favor is something that is earned, and there's no way that Nineveh is allowed to have it. And Jonah is wrong. Because you cannot outsend God's grace, and you cannot earn his love, God alone can give his grace. And what you do or don't do can't get you closer to God or move you further away. Christianity is not about doing. It's not about achieving. It's not about merits. Jonah wants it to be about earning, so he runs from God. So he resists God's commands. He resents God's presence. And finally, he relies on whatever means are possible. See in verse 3. He goes to Joppa. There's a ship there. He pays the fare. He gets on the boat to Tarshish, which is Spain. It's the furthest way, furthest he could possibly go away from Nineveh. And he's showing us that there's always opportunity to run from God. And there's always assistance. If you want to run from God, there are thousands of ways to do it every minute. There is always assistance on the downward path. I remember in high school, I don't know if you had friends like mine, but I had friends who... Um, would use whatever they could to get high. Like, they were huffing dust off, like computer cleaner. They were um, uh, drinking. Um, they're drinking. They're using hard drugs. They're doing whatever they could. Um, and it was idiotic. Looking back, like, I'm surprised that no one died from the stuff that people were putting in their bodies. They used whatever means were possible on the downward path. Jonah uses the means available to him. So he grabs a ship and he goes to Tarshish. And he's showing that there's always assistance. So, Think about this. For your selfishness, there are always going to be more chances to spend money on yourself. For your lust, there's always more internet sites to visit, always more hookups to pursue. For your vanity, there's always going to be more clothes to buy, more treadmills, more mirrors. For your racism, there's always going to be people from another race doing something that you don't understand and you don't like. For your resentment, there's always going to be someone else who understands and appreciates you better. For your ambition, there's always going to be another lie to tell, a promotion to seize, a scheme to enact, a person to schmooze. And for your apathy, 
There's always something more exciting to do than to read your Bible and pray. And the way that you battle against these things isn't by threats, it's not by promises, but it's, it's by God's grace. So we see in this, in Jonah's pursuit, in his, his fleeing, um, we see the determined pursuit of God. So Jonah is afraid that Nineveh won't get the judgment it deserves, so he runs as fast as he can, as far as away as he can. And the irony here is that Jonah needs the very grace that he is despising. And he's not the only one running. If sin is our running away from God, grace is God running towards us to reclaim us, to prevent our self-destruction, to restore us to himself. And God comes after us in hot pursuit. And in Jonah's case, he sends a storm to stop him, to knock him flat. So why didn't God just let Jonah go? It's for the same reason that he wants Jonah to go to Nineveh. It's love. It's his love. God's love is greater and fiercer than your running. His, as we sang, his love will not let you go. You can resist his commands. You can resent his presence. You can use whatever means you can get a hold of in your downward flight from him. But his grace does not cease and he will pursue you. The good news of these verses is that God is not sending a storm, but he's coming on a storm. There's love beneath those waves. And the way God pursues Jonah is the same way that he has pursued his people from the very beginning. In the first three chapters of the Bible, we're told that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made all things. And at the pinnacle of his creation, he made humans in his image. And the word of the Lord went out to them, much like it went out to Jonah. And just like with Jonah, our first parents fled the presence of the Lord And they relied on whatever whatever means were available to run and hide. For Jonah, it was a ticket and a ship. For Adam and Eve, it was an apple and some fig leaves. And just like Jonah, God did not let them go. He came after them. In Genesis 3, 8, we're told that Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And that the man and his wife hid themselves from God's presence among the trees of the garden. And this phrase, in the cool of the day, that's probably how you all heard it in the past, maybe growing up. But it can also be translated in the spirit of the day. It's this Hebrew word ruach, which means spirit or breath or wind. And here in Jonah, we're told that God didn't let Jonah go, but he came after him in love. And he hurled a great ruach. He hurled a great wind, a great wind upon the sea. His gracious pursuit of Jonah echoes his gracious pursuit of Adam and Eve. And God is saying to you that he does not abandon you when you run from him. He comes after you because he loves you. So George, he's wonderful. He's like six weeks old, I think, right? Yeah, he's six weeks old. Um, Great baby. People are asking, how's the baby? He's great. There's just one thing, just one thing. He only poops every three days. Um, And when he poops, it's like shaking a bottle of champagne for three days and then opening it. Um, So as you can imagine, when he finally goes, it's, I mean, it's a new diaper, it's a full body wipe down. It's a bath. So he got his first bath. Um, it's a new set of clothes. I mean, it is just a full overhaul what he needs. Um, so why do we do this as parents? Why don't we say to George, well, George, we're only going to change your diaper. Uh, these blowouts, not in the contract. We're not, we're not dealing with that. I mean, of course we don't say that, right? Like, we're his parents. We love him. We move towards him in love. And in the same way, when we run from God and have the proverbial spiritual blowout, God doesn't look away. 
He doesn't hand us off. No, he, he moves towards us. He runs after us. He graciously and lovingly cleans us up. His love will not let us go. See, what the author of Jonah is doing is he's holding up a mirror and he's saying, look, you are just like Jonah. And Jonah is just like his first parents, Adam and Eve. You are running and hiding and trying to flee God's presence. All of us. This is all of us. And he is pointing out the window to say, look, God does not change. The same God who pursued Adam and Eve in grace, the God who covered them and promised them that one day he would defeat sin and death, that same God came in the wind and the tempest to Jonah, unwilling to let him go because he loves him. And that same God has come to us in Jesus. Jesus, who in his incarnation was unlike Jonah. He was obedient to the will of the Father and came to us, taking on human life so that he could save us from our sin. Jesus, who in his crucifixion took the storm of God's judgment that you and I deserve for our defiance. The judgment that we deserve for resisting God's commands, for resenting his presence, for relying on whatever means necessary to run from him. Jesus on the cross took the storm of God's judgment onto himself so that in him we might receive the sweet presence of his spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes this, he says, For our sake God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what Jesus has done for you. Um, I'm wrapping up here. Um, so there's an annual feast that the Jews celebrate that's called the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And they, they celebrate this every fall. And it's in memory of um, the day when they would, they would celebrate, they would sacrifice animals, and they would celebrate the cleansing of sin that God has brought for them. And what they do when they gather to this day is the assembled Jewish congregation reads the book of Jonah aloud. And at a certain part in the service, they all repeat together, we are Jonah. We are Jonah. This is just a powerful reminder for us to confess and to keep confessing and to tell on ourselves and to keep telling on ourselves that through Jonah, we see our own defiance. We see our own running away. And also through Jonah, we see the determined, gracious pursuit of God. And we learn there is no refuge from God. There is only refuge in God. The refuge that we long for is found in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Jonah. We thank you that it is a mirror to us and also a window to you. And we pray that um, you would help us to see Jesus, the one who gave himself for us, to draw us near to you. Thank you that you love us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.